So the other day I was at this resort and I saw this toddler who was swinging on a swing, as, as, as is the, the practice. And, and there were two sets of grandparents cheering him on, as well as his biological parents. I just realized, gee, this kid is getting way too much attention. And you've got six adults just saying, oh, you're doing the best job. You are the best swinger in the world. And I, I, I mean, I guess that can mean different things, right? But I, I wanted to walk past and say, it's not that great. It's really not that special. I, I can swing like that. But I realized that we live in a culture that really loves children. Okay, so, so parents are involved and, uh, you know, it's, it's very common to like, ooh, and ah, when, when kids are around. But that wasn't always the case. In the ancient world, people didn't have the same uh, approach to, to kids. As a matter of fact, the word for child in the Greek and the Latin literally translate to not speaking. Not speaking. So you had a not speaking ministry. Can all the not speaking please go outside? Or, you know, school for the non-speakings. And there's this Roman intellectual, Pliny the Elder, and he famously said, he was just annoyed and lamented these, these children. And he just always said, none among the animals are so prone to tears. This, he kind of has a point, doesn't he? Because if you look at like a baby lamb or a baby dog, it just seems like they get on their feet just much quicker than kids. I mean, it's, it's, it's just less tears, it's less noisy, and, and Pliny, uh, the elder, lamented this. So they were not part of the, the public life, they were definitely not part of the religious life, and, and especially babies were more considered a plant than a human, in the sense of, let's see how it grows, let's see how it develops in the beginning, and then if it doesn't work, then we just throw it on the rubbish dump, quite literally. If there's a deformity, if it's my third girl in a row, whatever the case may be, they would practice what is called infanticide. They would get rid of these babies. And, and this was common practice in the, in the, Roman, the, the Greco-Roman world. And then, very sort of in the third century, this community started taking shape. It was there before that, but they said that this is atrocious. There cannot be anything like infanticide. And they started to raise these kids who were dropped on the rubbish dumps. And what's interesting is that these communities who were Jesus communities, they were monastic communities, they, they would name these kids <laughs> different versions of the, the word kopros. Now, in the Greek language to this day, you've got a lot of names that, that has the root somewhere, kopros which literally means dung or rubbish. So they would raise these kids, but they weren't very creative in naming them. So they was like, you little rubbishy, or dungy, uh, or you know, uh, big dung, high up the dung, uh, low down the, the rubbish dump. You know? so, so they had different names that, that just gives us an indication they were picked up there. And after a few years, people didn't put their babies, their unwanted babies on rubbish dumps anymore. They took them to monasteries where predominantly nuns would take care of them and raise them. And by the way, that is one of the reasons the early church grew. 
So Rodney Stark, the sociologist looking at the, the growth of the early church, said they just took all these unwanted babies and raised them. And after a generation, what do you have? A lot of people in your church. We should actually you know, think of a, a similar strategy, you know, adopt a church. And, and they, some of the other you know, Roman intellectuals would say, the church is just full of women and children. How can we take them seriously? Why? Because it was, it, you, mo you mostly had women and children, it was children, uh, baby girls being thrown on the rubbish dumps. So if you raise them, then they become women. Then the church was full of women. What changed? What changed that kids went from, from nothing to, 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 to something valuable and not only as, as, as humans made in the image of God with inherent dignity, but actually beings that we can try to emulate spiritually? And the answer is, if you guys don't know, as is, it's, it's mostly the answer in church, Jesus. Jesus came into the equation. And in Matthew 18, from verses 1 to 5, we read the following. This is Matthew 18, from verses 1 to 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. There's nothing in ancient literature remotely like this. Jesus was the first guy to, to draw on children as role models in the spiritual life. There's, there's, there's nothing. As a matter of fact, no, you, you had no rabbis. Even the the Jews didn't practice abortion, they didn't practice infanticide, but they also didn't use children as examples for how to live the spiritual life. And you, you can actually see how difficult it was for these first century Jews to make sense of it, because it might actually be part of the same discourse, but in Matthew 19, so we it's, it's a long story. It might just be a couple of hours later in the day. This happens. This is Matthew 19, verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So it was impossible for them to understand it. So he says, if you need to become like a child if you want to enter the kingdom of God. If you want to understand the kingdom of God, you need to become like a child. And then he talks about a couple of other things. And then a couple of kids come. And what do, what do the disciples do? Ah, shh, you guys are making a noise, man. We're busy, busy with spiritual stuff here. It's a sermon. Um, go away, go away. You, 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 like we're trying to learn about God here. And Jesus again says, okay, I'm going to put them in the middle. Do not hinder these little ones. Since forever, whenever you want to learn anything for that matter, but especially want to learn something about God, you get rid of the kids. We do it every morning. It's called Sunday school. We, we send them somewhere else so that we can try and hear a sermon and worship. Okay? That's why some of you guys come in the evenings, because you can keep your, your sanity. In the morning, it's just absolute chaos over here. And this morning, with the rain, it was, it was anarchy. And, and Jesus seems to think that you will get more spiritual insight 
if you go to the Sunday school than if you stay here. I mean, I don't want to overstate my case because I kind of like it that you guys are here. But he seems to think that instead of getting rid of a child, he says, no, 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 let's put a child in the middle of this setting and I want you to observe. I want you to become like a child. Now, what is it about children that is worth emulating spiritually? I first need to make a disclaimer. It says to become like a child, which is different from becoming a child. Children, although some people always say, oh, little angels, and there are all sorts of uh, you know, little uh, uh, precious, God's little angels, and I'm like, geez. Uh, you know, I, I think they could just as well be in the other place as well. But so, so, so they're not inherently good, but we'll get to the good bit now. But it's also true that, that kids, are, kids are terrible. I mean, I, I remember sitting here in the courtyard, and I think it was Anna or maybe Gior praying here. And just, he was just praying, Lord, help us to be generous, help us to share, help us to realize that our money and our possessions do not belong to us. And as we are listening to this prayer, my, my child is fighting with another child. Mine, 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 mine. So, so kids are, are terrible. But they're also role models in the faith. And we need to ask ourselves the question, why? I'm going to look at a couple. The first one is wonder. Kids have a sense of, of wonder. I am, by default, just a little bit cynical. I, I, I listen to very stupid music on the radio, and I, I would see stupid movies, badly acted, and, and there's a lot of stupid rain at the moment. And a couple of weeks earlier, it was just stupidly hot, just constantly complaining. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. There's something, something cynical. I'm seeing through everything. It's, it's really not that great. Even if you, even if you think this is, this is nice, it's really, it's really not that great. My work is a little bit mundane. Life is average, etc. One thing I've noticed about children is that they are just in awe of pretty much everything. It's one of, one of the first words Loki learned was, wow. So, and, and he uses it for absolutely inappropriate stuff. Like, say, this is where you wash your hands, you just open the tap. Wow! Um, or, are we gonna put, we're gonna put on some socks. Wow! This is socks, this is amazing. And I, I recently made the mistake of pointing out the yakaranda trees. And I say, you see purple, and you, you see, that's yakaranda. She says, ah, yakaranda. And, and then when you drive in October, it's actually a bad move. It's like, Papa, Yakanda, 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 bash, 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 bash. It's just, it's just everywhere. You know, he's, he's, he's going to die if we don't drive into a different suburb. And he's just so excited. And, and it rubs off, you know. I, I've never really paid attention to uh, fire trucks. Now I'm... I found myself the other day following a fire truck in my neighborhood, and Loki wasn't in, even in the car. And just like, wow, look at just all of those, those things. It, it really is impressive. And the other day I was playing golf with a friend, and I saw ducks, and I'm, I said, wow, ducks. And I literally went quack, 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 like spoke to the ducks. And my friend was super worried uh, <laughs> about me because, I, I, the, the fact of the matter is that 
if you look at life through their eyes, it is pretty amazing. Ducks are pretty cool. Fire trucks are pretty cool. Even if you grew up in Pretoria, the Yakurandas are amazing. And if you see it through these young eyes with, with all its awe, it really is special. That's something that we can learn from, from, from children. There's a quote, and it's a very popular quote, but it's also a very appropriate quote. It's, of course, our friend Chesterton who says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, monotony being rep repetitive stuff uh, over and over again. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. We have sinned and grown old, but our father is younger than we. The second aspect, I think, that children teach us about the spiritual life is imagination. They have a wild imagination. They, their rooms are universes. And I would just sit on the couch and I would just fold my, my leg, put my one leg on top of the other leg. And he would immediately pretend like it's a waterfall. And he's like, he's having a whole like, universe on my leg. Whoa, whale going down. You know, it's, it's just amazing. And it's, it's always a waterfall, my, uh, my, my legs. And he, he, he just totally immerses himself in that. Why is that important in the spiritual life? Because we worship a God that we cannot see. And that requires a bit of imagination to access that. It needs to be a sanctified imagination. If it's not a sanctified imagination, you're going to start believing in aliens and all sorts of conspiracy theories and QAnon and you know, all sorts of uh, rubbish. But the sanctified imagination, that is important. Sanctified imagination is, is one that, that is one in awe of God, but when the Bible talks about this supernatural world that we inhabit, we see it. And we realize it and we try to imagine it. And it is a way in which we fight this temptation to think that this material reality around us is all there is. And one of the, the tools that we have is imagination. And that, by the way, is why movies are bad to a certain degree. Because they do all, they, they do all the imaginative work on our behalf. So, so Disney and Hollywood, they've got a monopoly on imagination. They show us the picture so we don't have to, to do the work. That's why, why it's so healthy to read and, and imagine yourself. That's why so many people were so disappointed when Lord of the Rings were made into a film. Because, for now, because from now on, Frodo will forever be Elijah Wood. And, and that's different from other people's imagination. And imagination, a sanctified imagination, is important if we want to access God. Another point is self-forgetfulness. I'm going to ask you, I asked this morning, uh, but I, I didn't believe them actually. Who of you guys remember your life at five? Who can, who's got memories from when they were five? Hands in the air. Okay, four, three, three, two, 
Real. You've got memories from when you were two. Oh, I mean, that kind of makes sense. But (laughs) now, what's also true is that it's partly, it it could be planted memories. I don't want to invalidate your experience, Vera. (laughs) But it could be a case of you having seen a photo of you and then you think you remember what it was like there, but you've only accessed that memory via a photo or via people telling you about a certain event. It is, it is possible. But let's say you guys played along and didn't put up your hand when we went down the early numbers. Then, then this is the, the point that I'm trying to make, which is maybe little kids are not stupid and then they can't remember. Maybe they are just so present that they don't want to think about what happened yesterday because they're so present in the moment. Does that make sense? Maybe it's not a case of them being uh, just so absent-minded that we cannot remember the, the early part of our lives. But, you know, for example, toddlers and, and, and you know, little kids, they don't, they don't think beyond their immediate situation. So I've never heard a toddler say, I wonder what I'm going to wear tomorrow to school. Hmm. You know, they... It's, it's what I'm going to wear now. And, and maybe there's something there. You know, when Jesus says that you, you shouldn't worry about the day of tomorrow, it means you need to be present. You need to be here. I think children can teach us a thing or two about that. I've also become a little bit concerned because obviously when you've got a kid and they do something cute, you want to film it. And then sometimes you, you show it to them because they kind of like seeing the videos. And I think maybe that's a bad idea because then they risk becoming self-aware. And what makes the, the moment nice is the fact that they are so free. You know what I mean? So now it's going to be performative and then they're just going to be annoying. And, and what makes it beautiful is the fact that they are not even aware of anything being recorded. They are just so present in, in the moment. And I often find myself, when I'm, when I'm talking to one of you afterwards, I'm thinking about tomorrow. When I'm spending time with my wife and kids, I'm, I'm not there. I'm thinking about something that needs to happen in this week. I'm never present. And there's, it's amazing how Jesus just zoomed in on people as if they were the only people in the world. He would just stop everything. He would be in a massive crowd. And he would just stop everything and he would just zoom in on one particular person, whether it's Zacchaeus, whether it's that lady who struggled with... Um, well, effectively, chronic menstruation. He would just zoom in on them. There's a wonderful movie. I asked this morning. Nobody watched it, which is a massive shame. Who, who of you have seen the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? It stars Tom Hanks. Just, just hands up. Okay, a couple of us. Uh, it's a movie about Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers is this real character. He lived in the 80s, I think, 70s, 80s, 90s. And he was a famous sort of child-like children's uh, entertainer. He would have puppets and and a children's show, and it just ran for decades. And he was a very eccentric, a very peculiar guy. And at one point, and this is reality, at one point, there was a journalist who was trying to do a story on him because, but this guy was a cynical guy, so he just wanted to get scoop on this guy. Now, this is too good to be true. He's a pedophile. He's doing something dodgy, and I'm going to find out what it is. So he's trying to get an interview with this guy, and he struggles at first, and eventually this guy phones him. Mr. Rogers phones the journalist and says, 
um, hi, I, I'm sorry I missed you today. How are you? And he phones him at this hour. And the guy says, uh, well, look, it's not your job to phone me. You're the important person. I'm supposed to phone you. And, and then he says, right now, the most important thing is talking to you. And throughout the movie, you would see massive delays when they are trying to film a show because he's now just talking to a little girl who came to visit. Or he would just zoom in on these people and just love them in the present. And that guy spent his whole life around kids. I think he learned something from them to be present in the moment. There's another aspect of of this self-forgetfulness that I think is helpful, and that is, I would often, when it's when it's hot outside, just have a little you know plastic tub fill it with water, so that uh, so that Loki can play there, and then uh, he's naked, and <laughs> after a while he he doesn't realize he's naked, and then people would come in and go, and he would just hi hi how are you doing hello um hello Tani. It's very natural. It's, he's not aware of the fact that he's, he's naked. He's just focused on the water or focused on this person who, are coming in, who is coming in. And, and, and wouldn't that be amazing if you could be so focused on the exterior world that you are not worried about what you look like, what you're wearing, how you are performing in the moment. That childlike self-forgetfulness, there's a lot of freedom there. And I think Jesus wants that for us as, as adults. The most relevant point, though, is, and, and I, I say the most relevant point because it, it comes quite directly from the passage, is humility. So remember that the question, that Jesus' teaching about the child started with the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Okay, and this is something that the disciples thought about a lot, and they, they wanted to figure out this hierarchy. And to be fair to them, any kingdom has a hierarchy. You've got a king, you've got princes, you've got princesses, then you've got a court, and they sort of run, run the kingdom as well ad- administratively. Then you have a you know, sort of bourgeoisie, yeah, middle class, but they are not royalty, and then you've got the peasants at the bottom. That's how a kingdom works, right? So they wanted to figure out, where are we in this hierarchy? We know you're the king, okay? But where, 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 where are we? Uh, how close to the throne are we? And then Jesus takes a child, puts him in the middle. Why is that relevant? Because children, for all their faults, for all their selfishness, for all the, you know, forget the fact that they say mine is their first word, even before mama and papa. The one thing that kids do not have is a sense of hierarchy. They do not respect human hierarchies. Let me, let me give you an example. So we've got a hierarchy right here. I am sort of in a position of authority. I've got the microphone and I'm speaking. And you guys recognize that this is a type of situation where you, know, you need to sit down, you need to try and listen, uh, you need to try and not fall asleep and, and then be polite afterwards. But a child just doesn't respect that at all. And they would just run and say, Papa, 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 and he wants to be here with me now. And I say, I'm busy. And I say, no, don't worry, I'll you know, carry on. But uh, they don't respect our respective uh, uh, hierarchies. And, you know, when I, when I was growing up, I had this very famous 
grandmother, I say very famous, that's exaggerating. I had a somewhat famous grandmother. She was a professor and she was the first female professor at the University of uh, the Free State and she was on the Senate. So she was, uh, she was a big deal, I remember. She was one of the only people who were allowed to medically assist Hendrik Verwoerd when he was, uh, when he was shot. And then Hendrik Verwoerd, the, the ex-president, he wrote this handwritten letter thanking her personally for her service to him and the country. And that had a very you know, prominent place in her house. But in the 90s, that thing just started to disappear. At first it moved to that wall and eventually it just <laughs> disappeared altogether. But, but she was sort of high society. And she had a sister and she was less high society. She... Uh, she, she, she was not impressive. She had a room there at the back. She would smoke a lot. She would drink quite a bit. And she would gamble on horses. And when we, when we would go to my grandmother, we were very excited because we could spend time with Tani Lulu. And then you would go there in her room, and it will, there will be like a smoky cloud there. And we had so much fun building houses with all of her cigarette cartons. So we would build these, these massive houses and she would collect them through the years for us. So we, we, we could literally go in them. That's how, how many we had. And you know, sometimes she'll treat us when she took us with to the horses, when she gambled. You know. so, so this lady was by every possible standard just a little bit dodgy. Okay? But for us as kids, we loved her. We, we want to spend time with her, not with the professor. I mean, she's boring. You know, she, she doesn't have cartons, uh, cigarette cartons or, 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 or whatnot. And again, as a kid, we didn't recognize the hierarchy. The, I say sort of famous. There are at least, there's at least a street named after her in Bloemfontein, okay? I'm not sure if it's changed since. It might also have happened. But uh, it, it's not about... Uh, for, 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 uh, for us as kids, it wasn't about hanging with her. We didn't recognize this hierarchy. As we grew older, we realized, uh, yeah, maybe this is the person you'd rather want to hang out with. But as kids, we are completely ambivalent to that reality. The biggest hierarchy that we had in this country was called apartheid. You had whites at the top, you had blacks at the bottom, you had Indians and coloreds fighting for the scraps in between. But that was a very clear hierarchy. And then you had integration here yeah, in the early 1990s. And I, I remember this, this, the story of a, of a lady I, I know, and her daughter said, can she bring a friend home? And the mother says, yes, you're welcome. And she asked him, what's the friend's name? And she says, Tsepo. Now, she knows that there are two or three black kids that's now infiltrated the Model C schools. Is that now what's, what's going on here? And she says, can you just pronounce the name again? And she says, Tsepi or Tsepo. So now she thinks maybe there is like a weird Afrikaans name. Maybe it's a nickname, you know, like Chappie. And now she's saying it's Tsepi. So she's trying to figure out. So she asks him, what does he look like? What does Tsepi or Chappie or Tsepo, what does he look like? And the, the little girl thinks and she thinks and she says, hmm, he's got hair. He's got hair. Oh, he's got hair. And in her six-year-old or seven-year-old mind, the fact that this guy has a black skin and the fact that I have a white skin was completely irrelevant. 
They didn't see this hierarchy that the apartheid government made up. They just saw, she saw this, this friend who was playing with her and he had hair. And you know, he, she couldn't actually make a distinction because kids do not see that kind of, that kind of hierarchy. In verse 6, Matthew 18, verse 6, it says, Whoever receives one such uh, child uh, in my name receives me. Whoever receives one of these little ones in my name receives me. So little ones can be interpreted, by the way, as people with a childlike status in this world. So it's not about, it's not just about embracing kids and learning from them. It's about embracing people at the bottom of this stupid hierarchy that we've created. It's connecting with them. When we go into a, into a space, there is something in us as humans that measures the space, that thinks maybe that is a person that I need to talk to, maybe that person is interesting, maybe they are, they are rich, maybe they are smart, maybe they've got some sort of quality that I can engage with, and then if we do that, maybe I can feel good about myself because I'm hanging out with, with this person. And Jesus says that is very typical of the kingdom of this world. If you want to access the kingdom of God, if you want to understand the hierarchy of the kingdom of God, it means that you go into a space, whether it is church, whether it is work, it doesn't matter. And instead of trying to network the you know, uh, this space, instead of trying to figure out who's the most influential, where can I go make impact, you must actively try and see who's one of the little ones, who's a bit of an outsider in this particular space, and go to that person and engage that person. I did the sermon a few months ago, and then after the sermon, everybody just came and hung out with me, and I'm not sure how I felt about that. But the, 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 the fact of the matter, matter is, that in the kingdom of God, there is no hierarchy. The disciples were so obsessed with status and hierarchy that they couldn't make sense of a Messiah dying a shameful death on a cross. Just didn't, that was not what a Messiah was supposed to do. Why couldn't they understand it? Because they were looking at it through the lens of the kingdom of this world. But later on, one of his followers, Paul, reflects and he says, this Christ didn't hold on to his heavenly glory. He emptied himself. He humbled himself and he humbled himself further to the point of the cross. In the Roman world, you couldn't go lower than the cross. That was as humiliating as it, as it got. And yet, that humiliation is what we hold up in church and say, this is the highest any being has ever been, ever. We hold up the cross, the humiliation of the cross, Christ going the furthest down that any person has ever gone. And we hold that up and say, we exalt this. We preach Christ and him crucified. Does that make sense? That's the kingdom of heaven. And it doesn't make sense to, to our minds because we, we struggle with, with this paradoxical reality. Can I suggest one more spiritual lesson from kids? Kids know that they are dependent and they know they are vulnerable. I've not met a toddler or like a, you know, a very young kid thinking, you know what, I'm just, I think I'm gonna just try life on my own for a little while. 
uh, you know, it's time to spread my wings. I, uh, yeah, I, I need to just stand on my own feet. No, they're super dependent. They want you to pick them up. They, they're scared of the lightning. They, the, the world is, is a wonderful place, but it's also a very scary place. So they know how dependent they, they are. So on a certain level, I think kids know intuitively that they suck and they need help from their parents and from, from adults. But they never question, despite the fact that they, they are so needy and so vulnerable and so dependent, they never question the love of their parents. It's never in question. So my kid is just insanely naughty. And whether it is pouring all the bath water out, you know, into the, the bathroom, whether it is getting hold of tomato sauce and, you know, painting a very abstract picture, you know, on the floor. Uh, he, he's, he's quick to do these things, whether it is biting other kids. You know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, naughty, he's a naughty kid. And then I would discipline him. I'm not sure if we've got lawyers in the room, but I would uh, discipline him. And, and you know what happens? He would almost instantly come and sit on my lap, and he will cry on my lap. And I've often thought, hey, whoa, 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 I think you need to give me a little bit of space now. I'm not quite ready to hang out with you. I'm still a little bit angry, you know, about the whole bath tomato sauce incident that happened just now. But he doesn't recognize that. He gets onto my lap immediately, and he sits there and he cries. Because somehow he knows that although he, he's so needy, so vulnerable, he, he messes up so badly, He's got instant access to my lap. And maybe Jesus tells us that if you want to understand how to relate with God, if you want to understand how the kingdom of God works, it's something like that. It's not because you performed well that you get five minutes of lap time. The reason why you get lap time is because I am your father and you are my son. That is what qualifies you for lap time. Nothing else, not your performance. And this makes us vulnerable on the one hand and humble because we realize that there's very little that we can do. We mess up continuously and it's not based on our performance that we are embraced by, by God. But it also emboldens us because you've got instant access to, to the Father. It's like, I'm going to come and sit on your lap. You're my Father. That's how it works. And Tim Keller reflects on this, and he says the following. He says, The only person audacious enough to wake the king in the middle of the night for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. These... Disciples are trying to figure out who's the most important in the kingdom, who's closest to the king. Now, if you're close to the king, if you watch these movies, you still have to be very careful because he can very quickly get rid of you and, you know, assassinate or, you know, you know how these stories goes. And they're trying to figure out who's closest. And then Jesus says, if you want to be closest to me, become my child because then you can wake me up 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water and I'm not going to be annoyed with you because you're my kid. I'm going to be annoyed with you, but you're going to have access to my lap. Here you go. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we...
thank you for the fact that that you are our king but you're also our father and the way in which you relate to us is not as subjects it's not as citizens it's as children and sometimes lord we try to manipulate our way up the hierarchy trying to perform and it's such a futile endeavor that is lord why we ask you to help us embrace childlikeness Lord jesus i pray that we will stop this senseless earthly hierarchies that we're constantly interested in i pray that this community will really be a a hierarchy-less community a little bit of heaven on earth lord jesus we also know that we've grown old and cynical we pray for all we pray that we will see the beauty around us again lord jesus we pray that you will sanctify our imaginations we pray lord that we will be able to forget ourselves and just focus on you and lastly lord we pray that we will be humble that we will become children and in that process we are reminded of the fact that you humbled yourself you didn't hold on to your heavenly glory you emptied yourself you humbled yourself and you went to the cross and that is the greatest thing that ever that, that, that anyone has ever done but it only makes sense through the lens of the kingdom of heaven help us lord to put that lens on help us to look through those glasses it is in jesus name that we pray amen